Hello, hooray, hurrah, once again, the uh, uh, Greg Proops Film Club convenes here at Los Feliz, most enchanting uh, palace of cinematic awesomeness, the Los Feliz Three, hooray. Uh, we're back again for tonight's 1964 feature directed by Richard Lester, but most importantly, starring the Beatles, Hard Day's Night, ladies and gentlemen. That's the only reaction for Hard Day's Night. Um, it's an awesome movie. I'm a little bit older than you, off, and I remember... Uh, my sister is seven years older than me, so when the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan the first time, uh, we all watched it in, uh, in our living room in black and white. And it was a very exciting moment. Uh, it's hard to describe what the Beatles meant uh, to the world in 1964. Uh, it's not that the whole world was uh, droopy and that the Beatles came along and said lighten up, but it was something close to that. Um, also, uh, having to have um, uh, American rhythm and blues music uh, move back over the Atlantic and then be brought back by British groups is something that I'll leave sociologists Take it. Talk about <laughs> for a long time to come. Um, suffice to say uh, that the Beatles brought joy. And then, of course, now in the last year, uh, we've had the movie uh, Get Back. I don't know if anybody watched that during the air. Uh, and uh, Get Back was an interesting exercise. Uh, I don't know if it brought more joy or made you feel like you had joined the Beatles and wanted to quit as bad as they did at that point. Um, there was so much bitching and whining. And then all the critics who I read were talking about the movie were like, I never realized they argued that much. Has anyone ever been in a fucking group in their life? All groups do is take each other out. That's all you do. You don't sit around and compliment each other and go, oh my goodness, that was so awesome what you just did. You're like, hey, you're stupid, you smell, and you don't love Jesus. And then you go on stage and you rock out. That's what happens. Uh, I love it, misunderstanding a group. God, they were so caustic with each other. Yeah, they'd been together for 10 years in the same fucking hotel room being screamed at. How do you expect the Beatles to act? Um, at that point, uh, the man who wrote this uh, picture, Alan Owen, was a Welsh writer. And he'd written a television movie about Liverpool. Uh, and so he was brought to them. And um, the Beatles signed off on them. And he went and he hung out with them for a couple of days uh, at that point in their career, which was total, as we call it, Beatlemania. And um, he said that their life consisted of a room, a room, a room, a cab, a train, a stage, a room, and a room. And so that's what their life was like. They weren't allowed to run around and have fun. They were a gigantic going business concern that had to be where they had to be every second of the day. And that's an awful lot of pressure. Imagine in your 20s if that's what you had been going through instead of just playing video games and whatever it was that you did, epic bouts of self-love. Um, there are jokes. This is a comedy show. You can feel free to laugh at any time. I know we're in Los Feliz, and people here go, that's funny when I think about it. But you need to kind of drop that a little bit and be in the moment a little more. <laughs> I know, Los Feliz. Doing comedy here is always uh, an uphill climb because the general moment here is like, what do you want to do later? Go to Fred's? Let's go to the bookstore and look at the death section. This neighborhood needs the Beatles. They, for all of their work and for all of their gigantic fame and for all of their global recognition, they never took themselves that seriously. If you saw Get Back, you know that. And so, several awesome things we learned watching Get Back. One, it didn't need to be made because there's already a movie of it called Let It Be. And yeah, which cut it all down to fucking hour and a half instead of eight days of my life. I felt like I'd signed up and, and was in a job, basically. Watching that movie was a part-time job, and every night I cried after it was over. <laughs> and 
The, the other thing we learned is, of course, that they changed smoke and drank wine, duh. And what I love about uh, modern world is before uh, a picture comes on when you're watching it on TV, it'll say, um, this uh, movie contains adult themes. And it'll be like uh, um, dismemberment, blood, you know, sexual assault, smoking. <laughs> and like, I don't want to make a value judgment here, but smoking isn't the worst thing that could happen to you as a person. <laughs> You might even enjoy it. Say you'd had a few drinks and say, you're like, let me have a hit off that. You might go, I'm really dizzy now. <laughs> That's kind of it. I mean, I'm not encouraging smoking. I'm just saying they equate it with the most horrible things in the world. So there was a lot of chain smoking in the Beatles thing. And at one point, John Gobe was behind the drums. That's the other thing we learned, that they all played each other's instruments all the time. Uh, I meant that metaphorically, not as a euphemism. <laughs> not as a euphemism. It was Joe Orton who said that to them. Joe Orton, the brilliant playwright who wrote What the Butler Saw and Entertaining Mr. Sloan. And his plays are quite dark indeed about the psychosexual side of the sadistic class system of England. And he was the one who said, I thought the Beatles all shagged everyone they knew and each other if they could. Uh, which they didn't. In any case, uh, we also learned that when well, John said, I'm going to go behind the drums, but I need a Siggy before I do. Um, uh, that they called Ringo Ritchie which I'd never even seen ever heard or heard. Of course, his name is Richard, uh, but they didn't call him Ringo when they were sitting around like show business. Every time they referred to him, they'd go, hey, Richie, which I thought was absolutely lovely. Uh, yeah, because you don't call your friends by their names. You call them Beej and Goofer or whatever, you know, <laughs> Snick Snack, and I don't know what modern, what kids call each other. Uh, hashtag dickhead or whatever. I don't know what the fuck you call each other. You don't even take drugs that are recognizable to me. You take Dutch drugs you buy on the internet or whatever, or that some dude concocted who's friends with Elon Musk. We used to do cocaine and shit like that. It was fun. So thank you, one person laughs. Everyone else says, this should have an adult warning. This podcast contains mentions of smoking and cocaine. A baby could be hurt if they were listening. Because you know how often babies settle down with a long night of podcasting. <laughs> and, uh, Alan Owen, as I say, the writer, spent uh, some time with them, and uh, they liked him, and they liked what he wrote, and they also riffed on top of it. There's a scene in the movie where John, uh, they're at a tailor shop, getting their suits made or whatever, and John takes a pair of scissors, and he, he cuts the tailor's tape and goes, I now pronounce this bridge open. Well, there were many takes of that, and he said, I now pronounce this synagogue open. I now pronounce this bakery open. He did it a bunch of times. Uh, so there is more riffing than you think. There's also a scene where Ringo is all alone by himself, wandering around, having a, a time without the rest of the Beatles, the lads. And um, he's very somber in some parts of the scene. And people are like, wow, Ringo is really acting there. He was hungover as the devil that day. <laughs> so the, the low-keyness of his performance, uh, notwithstanding, let's face it, in all the Beatles movies, Ringo's the best actor. By a long while. It's true. In Hard Day's Night, in Magical Mystery Tour, in Help, in, in fucking the eight hours of Get Back. Who's the one you don't hate at the end of Get Back? Ringo. Ringo, you're like, he seems like a nice dude. He goes with the flow. He's nice. He's not an asshole. At one point, he goes like, George, I've got a song. I'd like to be under the sea. And George goes, that's good. Let's write that. I mean, for goodness sakes, when Paul was singing Let It Be, and I'm not a big fan of the song Let It Be, but when Paul was singing it, it was absolutely exquisite. It was beautiful. It was like Shostakovich, right? He goes, when I find myself in time of trouble, and John's going, nye, 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 in the corner, like a complete asshole. <laughs> because they hated each other by that point, and there was really no pulling back. 
Uh, and that part, you know, you're just like, the other Beatles are self-conscious on screen, let's be honest, except George, who's quite good. Mm. But Alan determined all of their personalities by hanging out with them. John's the snarky one. Paul's the chirpy, cheeky one. Uh, George is the, you know, sarcastic, sardonic one. And Ringo's fucking cool. Uh, because he can read lines. <laughs> yeah, and not look at the camera. Um, so uh, uh, Doug Millings did their outfits, the very first ones. The ones without the collars that go like that, that look like Pierre Cardin. And Anella and David did the boots. And the boots, literally, I could spend the rest of your lives talking about the Beetle boots. I might just do that now. We might not show the movie. I might just talk about the zip-up high Cuban heels. Danielle and David took Cuban heels, put them on Chelsea boots, and then put a zip up the side. And those boots are too die for I love them and I would do anything to have a pair of Anello am I mispronouncing it it's Anello or Danello Anello and David uh, beetle boots I have a kind of half ass pair here but these are Paul Smith and the zip goes up the back but they look so bitchin with a suit and uh, because we're in Los Feliz I'll explain what that is to the men here A suit is an outfit where you have a coat and pants that match each other, trousers. Um, you don't carry a Hello Kitty backpack in an ironic way, or wear a non-ironic slave driver beard or whatever, or, a, heaven forbid, a nuclear man bun that lets, everyone know, that lets everyone know that your member is crooked and unsatisfying. So a suit kind of smartens things up, right? So they went to Doug Millings because Doug Millings had done Cliff Richards' had done Cliff Richards suits. And Cliff Richards at the time was a giant star. They, kept, they always called him the Elvis Presley of England. But thank God he wasn't as strange as Elvis Presley. We're going to leave Elvis for a whole other show. We'll, we'll never show an Elvis movie. You have my guarantee of that, by the way. You can go home and watch them. I saw them all as a child. My sister took, as I said, my sister was seven years older than me. We saw every Elvis movie. And they're all the same. They're all the same. He's either a race car driver or a race car driver. And then at some point they sing a song, we're going on a spin out. You know, that's it. That's the whole movie. Uh, and so United Artists thought that this movie was going to be like that. But what they didn't count on was that the Beatles were witty and funny and had more of a personality than anyone that was a rock star that had been on screen at that point. And when they first walked into the studio, George Martin said, I don't know who I'm going to make the lead singer. And then when he watched them play for a while, he's like, I don't need a lead singer. This is a group that's a group. They change off on the vocals. They're all really good. They're all really good looking. They may be one of the only all-boy groups where everyone was shaggable. And I mean that sincerely. Um, look at like, uh, uh, I lived in England in the 90s, and they always used to compare Oasis to the Beatles, right? Yeah, and I went to an award show uh, in the 90s with my wife in London, and their manager got up and said, they have the best uh, uh, selling record since the Beatles, they have, they're a better first album than the Beatles, went on and on. And then, um, what's her name from the Smashing Pumpkins? Who's the bass player? Yeah, she gets up and she goes, I don't even know why we're getting an award since Oasis is better than the fucking Beatles. And that, that was an awesome Beatles moment for me. Because she had had enough, and we all had. It's like, Oasis had, as one guy put it, uh, there's Leem, and there's Noel, and then who the fuck's in the band? Bonehead, is it? Um, they had a person in their band named Bonehead. Yes. So don't contest me. 
So they went to Doug Millings and he made him those bitching outfits. And my, what are your point about this? The scene where John cuts the uh, Taylor's tape, it's actually Doug Millings as the table, Taylor. So you can see him there. And he went on. Why do I mention it? Not only did he do the Beatles, he did the Kinks. And he did all the Motown groups. So Doug Billings is a, quite a, uh, a tailor uh, with an awesome clientele of sharply dressed guys. I'll just say that again for the men of Los Feliz. Sharply dressed guys. And I don't mean in a ZZ Top fashion where they, where they say top coat, top hat. No, you don't need to be in Monopoly to be sharp dressed. You can actually just wear a suit and tie and look decent. Or at least a coat or a shirt with a collar on it once in a fucking while. Once in a fucking while. Think about it, Los Feliz. Did you come here to lecture us? I did not come to bury Caesar. I came to praise him. Uh, so I've met Victor Spinetti, and I knew him a little bit. Victor Spinetti plays the TV director at the end of the picture, or when they finally get to the TV studio. And he's uh, very nervous in the movie. And, and Victor Spinetti will remember from... Uh, Help, he plays the mad scientist, and he's also the recruiting officer in Magical Mystery Tour. He's also in loads of other movies, Tammy the Shrew, whatnot, a Pink Panther. One of the Pink Panthers. Pink Panther strikes back. It's hard to keep them all straight. Um, and Victor Spinetti was already a star uh, and working in pictures when he started working with the Beatles. And he became really good friends with them. And George said to him that they got Victor Spinetti uh, in all of their movies. And the reason was, George said, is you're my mom's favorite. And if we do a movie without you, she won't come to see it. Uh, and Victor Spinetti is Welsh. He's an Italian uh, of Italian extraction from Wales. And it was a very nice fellow indeed. And um, I, I had occasion to meet him because uh, I was friends with, uh, my wife and I were friends with Loretta Feldman, who had been married to Marty Feldman, the comedian. And Loretta was also an Italian uh, extraction from Wales and was old mates with Victor Spinetti. So... We got to hang out with him, and, and he would tell Beatles stories and stuff. And his party piece was this one, and it was fantastic. Uh, Victor says, um, well, here's one to start with. He was very sick, and he was in Morocco in Tangier. This is the 60s. Where all the British rock stars came to Tangier to do drugs and sleep with the locals, right? This is what the 60s were. And so they all went to Morocco to do this. And he said he was very sick, and he was in the lobby of his hotel. And a friend had given him, um, the British take this thing called Beecham's powder when they're sick. And it comes in a little, I swear to you, it comes in like a, you'll recognize it. Well, maybe you won't because I mentioned it earlier and everyone got judgmental. It looks like a Coke bindle. And it's a little square like this and it's paper. And you open it up and then there's a bunch of powder inside and you're supposed to put it in water. It's disgusting beyond all measure. But if you've ever been to England, they, they take things like Lim Sip. I'm not kidding. It's lemon flavored cold medicine and it's called Lim Sip. Yeah. So, suffice to say, uh, and of course, when the deep fryer breaks, they go to condition yellow. Um, so uh, he's sitting in the lobby of the hotel, and he's, he's got a cold, and he says, the stones come in because they're visiting Morocco. And Brian Jones walks over to him and goes, hey, mate. And he's got this package of Beecham's powder. And Brian goes, right. Opens it up and fucking snorts it in front of him. Before he can say, that's Beecham's cold powder, Ryan is, Ryan is already trying to get high off it. So after they did Hard Day's Night, um, he took ill, Victor did, and he was put, as they say in England, in hospital. So, yeah, they never use the word the hospital or to hospital. It's always hospital. So he's in hospital, and he's in bed. And he said the Beatles came to visit him. And they came one by one. They didn't come together. And they all came in character. He said, 
He's laying in bed, and Ringo walks into the room without a word, sits down, and goes, This is the story of the three bears, the mama bear, the papa bear, and the baby bear. Then he goes, then George comes in, walks over to his bed, and goes, I'm going to plump your pillow. Because when people feel ill, they like it when people plump the pillow. <laughs> then he goes, John comes in, walks in the door, and goes, Spinati! This is how it is happening because you're not high either! And then Paul comes in last, right? Opens the door and looks in and goes, Is it catching? And then closes the door. <laughs> that is a delightful uh, uh, Beatles story. And so I've had occasion to meet Ringo uh, years ago. I know Ringo's videographer. He has a videographer. And uh, uh, Ringo's not exactly, you know, he doesn't touch people. He, he, this is before the plague. He, uh, uh, yes, it's a plague, you guys. Uh, and by the way, has anyone noticed any TV shows or any fiction about what we've been living through for the last two years? No, this is like the plague from 1918. Find me a book about the plague from 1918. Find me a movie about it from the 20s or 30s. There's not one. 10,000 movies and, and plays and books about World War I, and no one mentioned the giant plague that came off the back of it that killed more people than World War I. And this is the same thing. We're moving right along here. Two years of the plague and everyone's like, fuck it. Let's go to Six Flags and go on the water flume. Um, thank you, one person. He has a videographer. And uh, Ringo was doing a gig on what, uh, Craig Ferguson's old show, which I forget the name of it. The Late, 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 something like that. Late, Late Show. And... Um, Fergie's from uh, Glasgow, and uh, uh, Glasgow's an interesting place. Uh, like so many places, it's a place where if you leave and you become a success, they hate you. <laughs> There's none of that, hey, well done, we're glad to see you back thing. It's, oi, you fucking asshole, how dare you show your face, you sold out. Because you succeeded, and the rest of us are still stuck here. Uh, in Australia, they call it the tall poppy. Uh, syndrome, meaning the tallest poppy gets the head lopped off so that you can be just like us and live in the filth with us. And Glasgow is an angry little place, uh, and, and uh, the most extraordinary audiences you'll ever uh, take part in or play to. There's only one place I'm ever nervous on earth to do comedy, and that's Glasgow. Because if you fuck up and someone heckles you and you go, hey, Magellan, they'll go, you're mistaking me for the 16th century Portuguese explorer! Like, they have the, they're wittier than you, one. They're angrier than you. They've read more than you, and they know more jokes than you do. And they're a very tough crowd to play for. And every time you go there, I always see something that I've never seen before. Like, there's a, I was there, and there was a milkshake thrown against the wall. And I'm like, only in Glasgow would someone be so angry as to get rid of their milkshake without drinking it. Would, I'm tired of this chocolatey, frothy concoction. Fuck you, milkshake! Like, What? Isn't something a milkshake you dig, take all the way down to the bottom and then like nurture at the end? There, uh, there was a, they put up a Ferris wheel in the middle of Glasgow one year when I was playing there. A Ferris wheel in the middle of Glasgow that everyone, like the London Eye, right? You could get into these giant gondolas and it would go up and down. And because it was in the middle of Glasgow, there was nothing but office buildings all around it. So you had no view of anything other than everyone in their office sitting there like this, staring at you going, when you went around. That's all you saw was Glaswegians flipping you off as you went around and around. And it cost eight pounds, so no Glaswegian was going to pay that shit. 
The whole time it was there, it was empty for three days, an empty Ferris wheel in the middle of Glasgow. And I said to them, putting a Ferris wheel in the middle of Glasgow is like putting a Ferris wheel in the middle of Glasgow. (laughs) So uh, Fergie had Ringo on, and uh, I get a call, and they go, come down to the studio, and um, you can watch them rehearse and stuff, right? So I go down, and I'm sitting in the uh, stands, and Ringo uh, does... uh, Boys, right? And um, uh, I want to be your lover, baby. I want to be. They ram everything. They two, two or three times through. Just fantastic, right? I'm excited beyond all measure. As I told you, I've been watching them since I was four years old. And it, it was just amazing. And uh, uh, I get to go backstage, right? And Ringo's there. And he's really nice. And, uh, you know, it's day by day, minute by minute. Like, you don't know. Uh, I'm told, whether he's going to be friendly or just not care at all, really. He's, he, he's not angry or mad. He's just, do I have time to deal with this person or don't I? So there was an awesome rock photographer there named Rob Shanahan who dresses bitchingly like it's the 70s. Um, it's always like uh, jeans and dingo boots and tinted shades and long hair. Really awesome, like 1972 kind of black oak Arkansas feel to his wardrobe. Thank you, that was for one person. Everyone else can, you can Google this on your smartphone on the way home or whatever, on your, on your smartwatch. Um, and uh, I'm there talking to Ringo, and there's several other people with me, including a, a famous country western guy and the videographer, and Rob is there. And I'm dressed much like I am now, except without a tie. And Ringo's dressed much like I am now, but with also without a tie. And he snapped a photo of us, and it's me and Ringo. And Ringo came over, and I met him and stuff, and I went like this, and we, we this is like I said before the plague, we kind of arm-bumped, right? And then someone told a joke, or I told a joke, I can't remember because I was in, uh, floating above my body at this point, <laughs> having a complete heart attack, and uh, we're laughing. And so that's when the photo snapped. And it's me and Ringo, and these other two people, and we're all going like that. <laughs> I'm, my head's thrown back in laughter. Ringo's like this, he's laughing, and the other two guys are laughing. So Rob sends me the photo, and I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe this. And I cut the other two people right out of the photo. <laughs> so whenever I post it, it's me and Ringo like this. <laughs> just sharing confidence. Just being awesome together. I've never told the other two people that I cut them out of the photo, but no fucking way am I sharing that moment. <laughs> And so, uh, years ago, I was in uh, uh, London, uh, where I worked at the time, and uh, they had the, the movie Wayne's World 2 came out. So I don't know what year that was. 90s, right? Wayne's World 2, not the first and the second one. And they had a, a Mike Myers' family is from Liverpool, and um, they had a premiere at the Lesser Square movie theater in Lesser Square, London. And then they had a um, do afterward, right, at the Hard Rock, uh, which is near Hyde Park. And it was because it was a charity event that all the proceeds from the, going to the picture and going to this do afterward, uh, or soiree, whatever you want to call it, um, were going to Paul's charity. Paul has a Liverpool charity of some kind, of the, I don't know, the Oratorio or some, something for kids or something. So we all went. And why did we go? Because uh, Mike Myers helped start the comedy store players in London in like 1985. And I'm very good friends with the comedy store players. That's who's on all the British Who's lines. Uh, Paul Merton and Josie and all them. 
and Richard Vaughn, who plays the piano. Yeah, if you ever watch British's line, Clive Anderson will go, and on the piano, Richard Branch. And then there's a shot of Richard like this because he didn't talk on the show. He played the piano and all the instruments. And he's probably my best friend in the world. And uh, so we go to see the picture, and Neil Malarkey, who's in the group, was in a team with Mike Myers called Myers and Malarkey. So that's why we're all invited. We're all invited to the movie. We're all invited to the thing after it, the Hard Rock. Mind you, the Hard Rock is famous for what? Hamburgers. What is Paul McCartney famous for? Not eating fucking hamburgers. So Linda was there uh, with Paul, and she was gorgeous, by the way. And uh, uh, so we go to the movie, and then we all go to the Hard Rock. And uh, uh, there's Paul and Linda, and we're looking at them, and we're in the corner with our beers. And they come around, and Chrissy Hine was there, who's also a vegetarian. And the smell of burgers is just filling the fucking place. And then they also had, because they didn't have impossible burgers in the 90s. They had, like, you know, whatever it was, a tofu burger or a a portobello mushroom or whatever awful thing. I I feel for vegetarians in that regard. At some points in your life, really all you're ever going to get is a portobello mushroom sandwich (laughs) for days on end. Um, So... They're walking around with the hamburgers, and I see Paul Merton, one of the comedians, talking to Paul. And him and Paul are in chatting, and I grab Richard, and I say, this is our moment. Because he's talking to Paul, we're free to go over and join this conversation. Let's go. So I drag him, and we go over. And all of us are there now. All the Who's Line people are talking to Paul. And Paul will not let you compliment him or talk about the Beatles or mention anything that he did in his career. It's all about you. Right. So Paul's going, oh, it's funny when you make it up off the top of your head. Then you look at it with the last and you improvise. This is great. You're fucking brilliant, mate. Then he turns to Richard, who's standing next to me, who plays all the instruments on Whose Line Is It Anyway? And by the way, Richard has a doctorate in physics from Cambridge. And wa- yes, and was a don there. So talk about overqualified to be in an improv group and tell dick jokes. <laughs> If you ask him any physics question, not like you or me when we went to college, he didn't just smoke weed and goof. He remembers everything. So if you say, what's the difference between Celsius and centigrade, you can expect an hour and a half long dissertation. Because the, there is a difference, evidently. I don't give a shit, but there is. And Richard uh, and I are standing there. And uh, like I say... He's well overqualified to tell dick jokes. And mind you, I know there's people who don't like improv here. And just the thought of improv is you're already like, why? And my favorite thing anyone ever said to me uh, about improv was in England. Uh, an English person came up to me and said, um, why not prepare something funny? <laughs> and an American said to one of our cast, I remember, uh, it's just a bunch of assholes playing charades. <laughs> Both of which are true, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) I concur with both of those statements. So there we are, standing around Paul, and Linda's there too, and Paul's very bubbly, right? And he's going on and on and heaping praise on all of us. And then he gets to Richard, and he stops, and he goes, and you, mate, with the guitar and the keyboards, bloody brilliant. And Richard goes, Excuse me for a moment, I have to leave, and walks away. (laughs) So now we're standing with Paul McCartney, and the conversation finds its natural end. We let him move to live his life amongst the hamburgers. (laughs) And I see Richard in the corner at the table we were sitting at, like this with his beer. Right. 
30 seconds before, Paul had been heaping praise on him as the improvising musician in the group. So I walk over to him and I say, um, what the fuck was that? And he goes, how do you tell someone that's influenced your life since you were six years old? How do you tell them? And I go, you don't. They, I said, do you think Paul McCartney's not aware that he's Paul McCartney? And that he's influenced your fucking life since you were six? I mean, really? He, he didn't know that? You, you were going to embarrass him by telling him that? And so, on that note, uh, I leave you, and I give you one of the funnest rock and roll movies of all time, uh, from 1964, directed by Richard Lester, starring the Beatles, A Hard Day's Night. <laughs>